Sometimes when my room is messy or when my car is messy or when my house is messy, I feel remorse. Like I feel bad. I feel icky on the inside. But here's what I want you to know. Feeling remorse, feeling bad, feeling icky has never changed anything ever. Remorse does not change anything. My goal this morning is not remorse. It's not to make you feel guilty. It's not to make you feel ashamed or icky on the inside. Remorse can't change anything. There's another thing that can change it. It is not remorse. It is repentance. And this morning, my goal, if you have stuff that is just kind of piled up in your life, if you're honest about some things going on in your life, and there's some things that are kind of icky, my goal is not to lead you to remorse this morning. It is to lead you to repentance. And I want you to see that here in the text we're reading. Again, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, remember last night we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, 17. Remember we said we were going to look at one verse. One verse last night. This morning we're going to get a little more ambitious, all right? We're going to look at two verses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, buckle in. Here we go. We're going to look at two verses this morning and see what God has to say to us in these two verses. So let me remind you, Ephesians 4.17, this was last night. Paul says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Remember what we said? God brought you here this weekend on purpose and for a purpose, right? God brought you here so he could speak a word to you. And the only question, the only question that matters is whether or not you'll listen whether or not you will have the ears to hear him. And Paul goes, don't live like everyone else. Stop living for all the things everyone else in this world is living for. God has called you to something different. And we're going to see how Paul challenges how the rest of the world lives. So here's three things we're going to talk about this morning. If you're writing notes down, I'll tell you where the sermon's going ahead of time. There's three things that cause us to sin. There's three things that cause that junk to pile up in our life. Those wicked habits and patterns and behaviors and sins. The first we're going to see is that we think wrong. The second that we're going to see is that we feel wrong. And the third you're going to see is that we do wrong. We think wrong, so we feel wrong, so we do wrong. And I want you to see that this morning, how we have led ourselves into this pattern of sin, but most importantly, how we get out. So verse 18 begins this way. If you're in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, just see these words. It's talking about people far from God. It's talking about people who don't follow after God. And here's what it says. They are darkened in their understanding. They're darkened in their understanding. So remember what I said. The first thing, the first thing that causes us to sin, to have wicked patterns and habits and junk build up in our life, is that we think wrong. That's what Paul means when he says they're darkened in their understanding. It's like the lights in their brain are out. And they don't believe the right things about the world and about God. And because of that, they walk into sin, destructive habits, and patterns in their life. They don't think right. And when we don't think right, it will always and eventually lead us into sin. When we believe lies, when we believe things that aren't true, it will lead us into destructive patterns and habits that bring no good, only pain, into our lives. And this morning... I want to tell you the single most destructive lie that most people believe. If you're writing notes down, I want you to hear the most destructive lie that some of you believe. I don't need to obey God because of three words. I don't need to obey God. I don't need to do what he says. I don't need to live the way Jesus wants me to because of three words. And here are the three words. Write these down. I know better. Those are the three words. 
most of the world looks at the God of the universe and says, I hear what you say, and I hear what you want from me, and I hear what you've called me to. I know your commands, but God, 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 I know better. And no one ever says that they actually say this, but we live as if it's true. We look at the God of the universe, we hear what he has to say to us, and we go, excuse me, uh, no offense, God, but I know better. It's like this. So I got my three kids, and I've told you how much I love them and care for them, but they roll this I know better game all the time. Well, like my three children think they know how to live better than I do. So like my five-year-old, right, what did I tell you? The number one thing she is seeking after in this world, her only aim in this life is to acquire, does anyone remember what food? Milkshakes. Yes, my people. So, yeah, Chick-fil-A, she'll settle for McDonald's. Literally this morning, she was at IHOP with my family, and she had a milkshake at like 8 in the morning. It was amazing. So, here's the deal with my daughter. If she had her way, the only food she would eat would be milkshakes. Like, like if she would have a milkshake for breakfast, she would have one for lunch, she would have one for dinner, she would just do milkshakes over and over and over again for the rest of her life. But here's what you and I know. If I gave her milkshakes over and over and over again as her only source of food forever, would she be healthy? No, right? She would feel sick. She would feel terrible. But the times she asked for a milkshake, and I go, you know what, sweetie, we had one earlier, we had one yesterday, we're not going to do a milkshake right now. She looks at me as if I wronged her. She looks at me as if I have done something terrible to her because she thinks that she knows better. Take my 10-month-old, Hope. She crawls around the house, and anyone who's had like a little brother, sister, parents in the room, you'll know this. Um, When kids are this age, they crawl around the room, and they only have one mission in life, and that is to find every single small object in your house and put it in their mouth. So literally as a parent of this, your your entire job, 100% of your day, is just reaching down and being like, don't eat that. Don't, it's like the remote control. Don't eat that. She like reaches for some crumb that's like five days old on her floor. And I'm like, don't eat that. The other day she grabbed my shoe and she was eating it. And I was like, what are you doing? And I grabbed the shoe away from her. And she looks at me like I've wronged her. And it's like, Dad, Dad I know better. I can eat this shoe. And I'm going, don't do that. Why? Because I hate her? No. Because I love her. And she doesn't know better. I do. Or take my two-year-old son. This has been an issue for a number of years now with him. Uh, Every night, 6 p.m., we do bath time. And we're in the bath. We're splashing around. He's having the best time. Sometimes I'll turn around to go get something. And every time I turn around, he knows this is his opportunity. He takes one of the cups we use to pour water on his head. He takes it. He looks at me. And he takes a little swig. Oh, yeah, it's gross. But the smile on his face says, yeah, this is the good stuff right here. Right? Oh, it's so gross. So I look at him. I'm like, don't drink the bath water. And he's looking at me like, I can drink whatever I want, Dad. You don't know my life. You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. And I take the cup away from him. Why? Because I hate him? No, 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 no. Because I love him. And I want what's best for him. So here's what all three of my children think, whether it's milkshakes or shoes in their mouth or bath water on their lips. Here's what they think. They think I know better than Dad And dad's just trying to take away my fun. But here's what every one of you knows. You're mature enough to know this. I am not taking these things because I hate them. I'm taking these things away because I love them. And here's what I want you to know about the God of the universe. He gives you commands not because he hates you, but because he loves you. And listen, because he knows better. He knows better. So when God gives really clear commands in the Bible, like do not let any foul or vulgar language or unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, Like, do you know that the God of the universe commands you not to swear and use bad words? And yet some of you 
are like, yeah, whatever, though. It's just words. Everyone uses them. Who cares? So I'm going to use foul language. I'm going to use words about women that should never come out of my mouth. I'm going to use words that I hear in songs that I should never be speaking out loud. And you think it's no big deal because you think you know better. And the God of the universe says, don't do that. He's not saying that because he hates you. He's saying it because he loves you. Do you know that the Bible commands you not to gossip? That gossip is not just a middle school issue. It's like an issue that has been around in human society forever. That it actually destroys lives and harms people. And God goes, don't gossip. And yet some of you are like, it's not gossip. It's just a prayer request. It's just me saying my concern for my friend. No, it's you gossiping about them. And yet some of you think it's no big deal because you think you know better. Listen, can I tell you, I know young men and women, and maybe for some of you this isn't a struggle at all, but I know young men and women where alcohol and drugs is just like a part of their life even at a young age. And again, maybe for some of you, you're like, I've never even thought of that. Praise God, it's not worth it. But I know that for some of you, or maybe for some people you know, this is an issue, and already at a young age, this is a draw, and God says, be fully sober-minded. Don't give yourself over to those types of things. And for so many young people, they look at the God of the universe, they're like, that's cute, God, and that's a nice idea for someone else, but I know better. Why does God command you not to do it? Not because he hates you, because he loves you, and he knows better. And then let me just say this out loud, and I know for some of you this might not be a thing on your mind right now, but I want you to know that this is for so many, maybe even some of you in this room. Like, I just want you to know that the God of the universe has created you, and he has built you up as a being that that is prepared for at some point in your life to experience the good gift that God has given you, and I'm going to call you to a level of maturity here, the good gift that God has given you in the right context, the gift of sex. And here's what happens. We at a young age look at God and we're like, I know that you say, God, sex is for one man, one woman in the context of a covenant marriage forever. That's what it is. One man, one woman in marriage forever. That's where sex belongs. But so many young people go, well, God, I hear what you say, but I know better. And here's the deal. God does not give you commands about sex and sexuality to hate you because he hates you and wants your life to be terrible. He does it because he loves you. And he knows better. Here's what Paul says. Paul says most of the world operates with a darkened understanding. The lights are off upstairs. They believe the lie that they know better than God. And because they believe that lie, their lives ultimately get destroyed. Just like my son, if he drank the bathwater, or my daughter, if she ate the shoes, or, or, my, or my, my, my daughter, if she just ate milkshakes. It would destroy her. It would harm her. See, Paul understands that we think wrong. The lights are off. We're darkened in our understanding. He goes on this way, and he says, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So remember, we said there's three things that lead us into sin. The first is that we think wrong. We believe the lie that we know better than God. The second thing, the first is we think wrong. The second is that we feel wrong. And maybe you've been taught throughout your life that whatever you feel is okay, and no one should ever tell you how to feel, but that's not true in the Bible. The Bible doesn't just tell us how to think. The Bible tells us how our hearts should be oriented toward God. And do you see at the very end of verse 18 how it says that there is a hardening of their hearts going on? A hardening of our heart is when we kind of harden ourselves toward God. And rather than being the type of person who just goes, God, whatever you have for my life, whatever you want to say, I'm in. You have this sort of attitude that says, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to keep doing my life the way I want to live my life. God doesn't get to tell me how to live. Only I get to tell me how to live. That is a sign that you have a hardened heart. So, So here's what quickly happens. You start to believe the lie that you know better than God. And so you start to live the way you want to live. 
And then this morning, I've already said some things that I'm sure for some of you challenge some of the behaviors and some of the ways you live in your life. And for some of you, you're actually going, you know what, that's true. I need to deal with that junk in my life. But for others of you, you're hardening your heart already. You're already putting up your defenses. You're like a lawyer who's arguing on behalf of your life. You're trying to justify your sin rather than to turn from it, rather than to repent of it. And let me give you the four signs that I see in people when I know that they are hardening their heart. Let me give you the four justifications people give for their sin. And maybe you've used some of these. Maybe you've heard some of these. The the first justification for people's sin that I tend to hear is this one. It's not hurting anyone. It's not hurting anyone, so why is it a big deal? It's just me doing this. It's not really hurting anyone. So you lie to your parents, and you're like, well, what they don't know doesn't hurt them, so why is it a big deal? Or or you end up going on, on websites on the Internet that you know you shouldn't go on. There's things you have on your phone that your parents don't know about. There's things you're diving into in the digital world that have no place in your life, and you know it, but you're also going, no, 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 no one's getting hurt. So it's no big deal. And here's what I want you to know. The first thing is that you've also believed a lie. I, I want you to know there is no sin in your life that will ultimately not hurt someone. So when you say, oh, I lie to my parents, but they'll never find out, so they don't know, listen, I'm a dad of three, it hurts. It hurts when I'm lied to. It hurts when things are withheld from me. It will hurt someone. You have convinced and deluded yourself you're not hurting anyone, but you are. You go on websites that, that are filled with sexuality, that, that are filled with pornography, and you think, that, well, that doesn't hurt anyone. Let me tell you something. It does hurt people. It hurts women who are in the industry. It harms vulnerable women. But even if it wasn't hurting them, even if it wasn't hurting someone else out there, I want you to know this. Your sin harms you. It harms you. Like so often what we think is, well, my sin's not hurting anyone else, so it's no big deal. And the God of the universe is going, no, no, no. It harms you and it harms our relationship. It harms our relationship. So I want you to be really clear. Your sin harms you. And part of the reason we're calling isn't just because God has a random set of rules. It's because God knows what's best for you. The number one justification I hear is it's not hurting anyone. Here's the number two one I hear. This one's really famous, especially in your generation. Um, I hear something like, well, nobody's perfect. Listen, Brian, no one's perfect. You're calling me away from my sin, but no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. No one here is perfect. And here's part of the truth in that. The Bible actually says no one's perfect. Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you're right. Nobody's perfect. But if you use nobody's perfect as an excuse to not try, as an excuse to not walk in holiness, it just shows you don't understand how relationships work. Like, like, like let me ask you this. Does anyone in this room, by show of hands, have a friend who's not very good at texting them back? Anyone? <laughs> All over this room, don't point, don't point, don't point. I'm sure they're in the room. <laughs> no, 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 listen, listen, listen. Bye, 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 bye. Okay. So, 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 shh, I know, I know, I know, that stirs up some emotion in you. But listen, listen, shh, shh, right here, right here. So, I want you to imagine you text that friend, and they don't text you back, but then they text you, and you text back right away. It's this total lopsided relationship. And then here's what happens. I want you to imagine it's sometime after camp, and you go confront your friend. And you're like, hey, listen, I love you, like, we're friends, and I care about you, but it kind of seems like you never text me back, and I always text you back, and it kind of seems like you're not trying, and I'm really trying in this friendship, so it's kind of hurting me. And I want you to imagine they looked at you and were like, nobody's perfect. <laughs> right, so that kind of, but, but, but here's the deal. Um, you would look back at them and be like, of course no one's perfect. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to try, because that's how relationships work. 
Relationships aren't like two perfect people being perfect forever. Relationships are, I'm going to walk toward God and I'm going to put in this effort and I'm going to try to turn from my sin, not because it like makes me right with God or my effort makes God love me more, but because I have a relationship with him. And yeah, I'm called to perfection. I'm going to fall short. That's how God steps in with his mercy. But I want us to know if your justification for your sin is, well, no one's perfect, you don't get how relationships work. Relationship with God means I'm leaning in, I'm working toward it, I'm trying. God is perfect, I know I'm not, but I'm going to keep walking toward him rather than throw up my hands and give up. So the first justification is it's not hurting anyone. The second one is that no one's perfect. Here's the third one, no one's ever going to find out. No one's ever going to find out what's on my phone. I got my parents fooled, I got everyone fooled, I got blockers, I got history erased, I got all the things. No one's ever, no one's ever going to find out. Now here's the first thing. I want you to know someday, somehow, someone's going to find out. I just know some of you think you have this whole secret world that no one will ever penetrate, and I want you to know someday someone's going to find out. But here's the second deal. Even if no one ever finds out about your sin, I want you to know this, and I want you to be clear. I want you to know that even if no one ever finds out about your sin, it's still hurting you. It's still hurting your relationship with God. It's robbing you from your peace. It's robbing your joy. It's taking away the delight you have in God, and it's taking away your peace in this world. Like, even if no one ever finds out, it's like this. Um, so a couple of years ago, I turned 30. And after I turned 30, um, I kind of looked in the mirror and realized that I wasn't 20 anymore. Meaning, like, I wasn't really working out. I wasn't really eating healthy. I wasn't really trying very hard. And, and so I decided, like, okay, I would really like to try to get in better shape. Because I feel really out of shape, and I feel like I really need to do this. So I went on this journey uh, of trying to work out and trying to run and lift weights. And, and then on the nutrition side, I was just trying to eat healthier, Okay. And so I was trying to eat, like, less snacks and more vegetables and, like, real foods, and I was trying to do all of that. And in the midst of this journey, I found some success, and I was really pleased with that. But i got to tell you the one weakness I had. The one weakness I had, and I have it till this day. Like, literally Thursday before I left for camp here, I fell into this trap. It is my weakness, and I want you to know the food that I just almost cannot say no to. And here's the food. It is Toll House cookie dough. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, it comes in the tub, right? It comes in that tub. And I'm not talking about cookies. I'm talking about the dough. I don't cook the cookies. I just eat the dough. And here's the problem in my house. I got to tell you. Listen, listen, listen. So here's the problem in my house. The problem in my house is that my wife buys the Toll House cookie dough all the time because she is like hospitality to her core. When people come over, she'll bake cookies. And sometimes people come over, I'm like, no, 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 they don't eat cookies, they're like super healthy people. She goes, I don't care, I want my house to smell like chocolate chip cookies. So she does this all the time, she always has that cookie dough in there. And from time to time, she'll point at the dough and say, like, someone's coming over tomorrow, so Brian, please don't eat all of the cookie dough in the fridge, because I need that cookie dough for tomorrow. And I go, oh, totally, totally, totally. But then, she goes to sleep. <laughs> and I sneak down the stairs, <laughs> and I go to the fridge, and I open it up, and the glow is glorious. And I see the top, and I grab it. And I grab one finger, and you know what it does when you open it? It goes, boom, right? It opens right up, and there's the cookie dough. It's glorious. Now, I'm not a spoon-type person. I'm like the finger right in there, right? And, oh, yeah, oh, don't judge me, right? I go in there, and I eat. Oh, it's so good. It's so delicious. And it's so secret because she doesn't know. Sometimes what I even do, this is how low I sink. I even, like, try to smudge it back in so it doesn't look like my finger just went in. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a problem. But listen. Let's pretend she was like, don't eat the cookie dough. And then I snuck down and I did it. Let's pretend she'll never find out, which she totally finds out, by the way. She opens the thing. She's like, it's all gone. Where'd it go? Right? I'm like, the children did it. Right? But, but, but let's pretend. Let's pretend for a second. She never finds out. 
even if she never finds out, the calories still count, right? It's not like, well, she doesn't know about it, so they're free calories. Like, that's not how it works. Even if no one ever finds out about my cookie dough thing, which you all know now, right? Even if no one ever finds out, it still affects me, and the same is true with your sin. Even if no one ever finds out, it's it, well, amen. It still affects you. So, first justification for our sin is it's not hurting. The second is nobody's perfect. The third is no one's ever going to find out. But here's the fourth and final. The fourth and final, and if you know Jesus, you may have said something like this. Well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I'll just do it. God's going to forgive me anyway, so I'll just go do whatever I want. And here's the wild thing about our God. God goes, all your sin, past, present, and future, already forgiven. So there's truth in that statement. And yet Paul in Romans 6 is going to go, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Like in other words, should we just sin because God's going to forgive us anyway? And he goes, by no means. And here's the reason. Here's the reason because Paul knows that your sin will not rob you of your salvation. Can I just speak that over you in case you're feeling guilt and shame and condemnation this morning? Your sin cannot take from you your, your salvation. It is secure in Jesus. You will never lose your salvation because of your sin. But I will tell you this. You can lose your peace. You can lose your joy. And you can lose your sense of purpose in this world. So why do I not sin even though God's going to forgive me? Because I know I'm not going to lose my salvation, but I don't want to lose my peace in this world. I don't want to lose my joy in this world. I don't want to lose the purposes that God has put on my life and the life he's called me toward. So what am I going to do? When I sin, I'm not going to justify it. I'm not going to do what Paul says where I harden my heart and go, no, 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 no. Uh, nobody's perfect. No one's ever going to find it out. It's not hurting anyone. God's going to forgive me. I'm not going to do that. What am I going to do instead? I'm going to soften my heart and acknowledge my sin and acknowledge that even if no one ever finds out, it's still affecting me. And then here's the final verse we'll look at this morning. Verse 19. It says, having lost all sensitivity, they, this is people who are far from God, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So, so in other words, if you're remembering where we're going this morning, the reasons we sin is we think wrong right? And then we feel wrong. And then the final thing, because we think wrong thoughts, we think we know better than God, and because we justify our sin, what's ultimately going to happen is it says that we do wrong. Not just doing wrong, we give ourselves over to sin. So I want you to know, when we do wrong, when you sin, it is not like you picking something off the menu, like, ah, today I'll have a cheeseburger, tomorrow I'll do chicken tenders. No, when you sin, it becomes a trap in your life. This is what Paul means by giving yourself over to something. When you sin, it actually starts to take control over your life, and sin, write this down, always makes things worse. Sin never makes things better. Sin always makes things worse. When I walk in sinful, destructive patterns and habits and behaviors, it always makes my life worse. It's like this. So like when I was a kid, one of the best days of the year was Halloween. And the best day of the year was Halloween because I just got to walk to every neighbor's house, knock on the door, and get candy. And I would have buckets of candy. And I had three brothers growing up. So what we would do is we would go home and have a big candy exchange, right? I'd be like, I'll take two of your Snickers for one of these. And then, like, the younger siblings would always get, like, messed over on the deals. We'd be like, give us all your candy and you can have a Tootsie Roll, right? Like, we would do that. And then those nights, I would just start plowing through the candy. 
I wouldn't be like, let me save this and budget it out over a month. I'd be like, I will eat as much candy as I possibly can in this moment. And here's what you all know happened to me. In the first moment, it was like, this is good. This is great. This is awesome. This is my dream. This is how I want life to be like forever. And then suddenly your stomach just starts to feel sour. You're like, oh, I don't feel so, uh, I don't feel so good. Like I've eaten so much candy, I'm starting to feel sick. But do you know how foolish I was? Here's how foolish I was. I thought I feel sick from candy, so you know what will help me? A Reese's peanut butter cup. Because, hold on, here was my reasoning. That has peanut butter in it, and peanut butter's healthy, right? I don't know, that was my reasoning. Hold on. Or I'd be like, an almond joy will help me, because almonds are like a vegetable. You know, like, so I would be sick from candy, and here's what I'd do. I'd eat more candy to get me not sick from candy. And then I'd be like, oh, I am such a fool. I am such a fool. Skittles are fruit. Um, <laughs> and so I would eat more Skittles. I would eat more candy, and I would just get sicker and sicker and sicker. And here's what you all know. That is so foolish, because if candy made you sick, it won't make you feel better. And can I speak this over you? If sin has made you sick, it's not going to make you feel better. If sin has made you feel guilt and shame and ick inside, more sin isn't going to help. And what so often happens is we think to ourselves, I feel gross about myself, but I'm just going to look at that website one more time. I'm just going to drink one more time. I'm just going to lie one more time. I'm just going to do that with that guy one more time, just one more time, and it'll make everything feel better. But here's what you know already. Sin doesn't make anything better. Sin makes everything worse. And when I give myself over to sin, it never brings me peace. It never brings me joy. It never makes things better. It only makes things worse. It robs me of my joy. It robs me of my peace. It robs me of God's purposes in my life and what he's called me toward. So here's what I want you to know on the authority of the word of God. There is nothing in your life, child of God, that you can do that will rob you of your salvation. That is secure in Jesus. It is accomplished. You will never lose it. But I want you to know that you can lose your joy. You can lose your peace. You can lose your purpose. In fact, that's why David in Psalm 51 says these words. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Remember, if you don't know the story of David, David has an affair with a woman who's not his wife. And then to cover up the affair, he murders that woman's husband, and he's got everyone fooled. He's a liar, he's an adulterer, he's a murderer, he's done everything wrong. And, and, and Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is David's moment not of remorse, but of repentance where he turns. And here's what he claims. This is such a powerful thing. He doesn't say, restore to me my salvation. He doesn't say, oh God, I've lost my salvation because I've sinned and I need you to save me again. No, he knows that's secure. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation because you can't lose your salvation, but you can lose your joy. And here's the question I want to end with this morning. If you have been walking in sin, if like our rooms, your life has just had pileups of junk and there's things and sinful practices and patterns of behavior, if this morning, you are feeling convicted, like, you know what, Brian's talking about me this morning. I want to ask one question to end. How do we get back the joy of our salvation? How do we get back to that place with God where things are right and we are walking in holiness and joy and peace and purpose? And the answer is two words. Write these two words down. Two words. Here's your two-word path to the joy of your salvation. Number one, confession. Number two, repentance. Number one, confession. Number two, repentance. What is confession? Confession is saying out loud what's already true. We confess to God. That's a given, right? 
God already knows what's going on in your life, but there's something powerful when you say, God, I have been walking in sexual sin. God, I've been lying to my parents. God, I have been gossiping about others. God, I have been doing bad things. I know I've been doing bad things. God, I confess it. I admit it to you. Confessing to God is a given. But listen, confessing to another human being is a gift. It's a gift. So when you confess out loud, when you say it out loud to other people, there is a freedom and a joy that happens where it is released and it starts to lose power in your life. Like, don't miss this. Listen, listen. Uh, Every eye on me right now. Right after this chapter, you are going to be going into small group discussions. In your cabins, you are going to be going into discussion time. And I want to plead with you. If there's something secret going on in your life that no one knows about, that you are convicted is not the way God has called you to live, I want to plead with you to say it out loud. Confess it. And don't say like vague things like, yeah, I did a bad thing once. Say what it actually is. However embarrassing, however icky you feel on the inside, when you get it on the outside, it will restore to you the joy of your salvation. Confession to God is a given. Confession to others is a gift. And then here's the second word. You confess, and the second word is repentance. Here's what repentance is. Repentance isn't feeling bad about it. Anyone can feel bad about something. Repentance isn't remorse, like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Here's what repentance is. It's actually the idea that you're walking in this direction, and to repent is to plant your foot in the ground, turn, and go the opposite direction. So to repent is to say, you know what? I've been lying to my parents about some things, but I'm going to stop doing that. And, this is the big part, I'm going to go tell them about what I lied about when I get back from camp. That's repentance. Repentance is, you know what, I've been looking at some things on my phone that I know I shouldn't have been looking at, so I'm going to repent. And you know what repentance might look like? It might look like talking to your parents about getting some blockers or some filters on your phone. It might look like deleting some apps or unfollowing some people or stop, stopping to participate in certain things. It means to actually change your life. To confess is to say what's going on is wrong. To repent is actually to turn and do something different. To repent is actually to turn back to Jesus. And that's the invitation for you. It, you're going to be in these cabin times. And I want to plead with you to be honest. Because here's what you could do. You could lie right now. You could say everything's good. There's nothing to confess, nothing to repent of. My life is perfect. Everything's good. But here's what everyone in the room will know. Everyone in the room will know you are lying. And I'm not claiming that everyone has the same sins or the same levels of sins. I just know that Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us need to confess. All of us need to repent. And whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your heart, if you want to experience the joy of your salvation, it doesn't happen for you just feeling bad about what was said this morning. It happens through you confessing and repenting. Again, on the authority of the word of God, I'll close with this. I want you to know that there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. But you can lose your joy. But there is a way to get it back. And that is to confess to God and confess to others and to repent. To repent is to say, God, you are right and I am wrong. And I am going to walk in the life you have called me to. I hope you do that this morning. I hope that's what's happening all over our camp this morning. And if you do it, if you do it, I know you'll be glad you did. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word and thank you for the challenge for us to confess and repent this morning. God, for the times that I have thought wrong or felt wrong or did wrong, for the times I've given myself over to sin, I just want to publicly confess that to you, repent of it, and turn and ask that you would make me like Jesus. God, I pray a spirit of confession and repentance would be all over this camp this morning. I pray that we would be bold and vulnerable, we would share what's going on in our life, and that you would restore to many of us the joy of our salvation. God, would you do that through the power of your spirit? We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said real loud. Amen.